For everyone listening during the month of May 2022, every single day on Patreon, uh, on a march to the jubilee solemnity of the nativity of Michael Gormley on May 25th, a.k.a. my birthday, I'm releasing a solo podcast every single day. Luke says discussion over instruction, I say for 25 days, nay. You can only find that if you're a Patreon subscriber. So if you hop on over there, literally for like 12 to 20 minutes, I just talk at my kitchen table at 11 o'clock at night and record my random thoughts. So it's going to be good fun when you hear all that. We have a couple sponsors that we need to talk about. We'll get that into the show. But I have a special guest. This is a guest who is in the Catching Boxes drinking game. So very special. Bald as the day is young. My friend, my best friend, my only friend. Chris Miller. How you doing, Chris? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. So how long have you been uh, listening to Catching Foxes and putting up with Luke? Oh, I don't know. I think it's just uh, not very long. I became a fan late. You did. But it's you been did. great. You son of a bitch. You did. <laughs> You're so funny because you started listening, and then I knew you started listening because I would drop the show on like a Friday or a Saturday, and then I'm guessing it was your commute on Monday that I would start getting text message comments, you know, of you being like, no, nope, bad point, blame, what's Luke doing, <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> like, oh, good, good. There's that criticism I remember from middle school. <laughs> I know. I know. I was extremely annoying. Now, now I'm more supportive, but at first, a critic. <laughs> Always a freaking critic. The other day I was talking with my daughter. And uh, I can't remember what we were doing. Kateri is 11 now, which will be 12 at the uh, in the beginning of June. And she said, she was talking, and she literally said this. She said, Dad, like, all you got to do. <laughs> and I just stopped, and I said, your godfather, when I was in middle school, would come up to me all the time and go, alls, 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 alls. What a jerk I was. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Somehow Seriously. we're still friends. But uh, I said that's what it took to curb me of my alls habit. Well, that's interesting that you, <clears throat> that you say that because I was talking to my oldest son, Paul, the other day. I was talking about, you know, making sure that you're treating your friends correctly. <laughs> you're uh, being kind to them throughout your whole life. And I said, you know what? I, I was a kind of an ass to Mike for a long time. <laughs> and don't do what I did. So, you know. Be good to your friends. And he's like, well, did he forgive you? I'm like, yeah, I think he forgave me. <laughs> well, I'm going to be on the show. Wouldn't it be funny if it was like an intervention and I had like Elliot Selman and all these kids from middle school that you tormented? Oh, good times. But we were the best football team at the All Saints playground. So absolutely covered a multitude of sins. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm I, glad I, you didn't give up on me, Mike. <laughs> I am kind and merciful, slow to anger, quick in compassion. The Gomer Indeed. is kind of merciful. So Indeed. one of the things that is a running joke that my college buddies, Luke included, have about you over the years is so when basically I started homeschooling me and you class of 2000 graduate for high school. But then I started homeschooling and I was just more at home. I wasn't doing any schoolwork. And then I moved to Houston. So I moved away from Tulsa. You guys are all in Catholic school. You were living the the normal, you know, high school life. I think I was. Was I the only person that you knew that was homeschooled, especially in high yes. school? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it was that time where you guys would call me in the middle of uh, Encore, which was like study <laughs> hall. And I will, and it's like right before lunch, and I had just woken up. Uh, Josh Whitney could not stomach that. Um, yes. One of those phone calls is when I got the nickname Gomer from good old Josh. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I forgot. That was one of those. Yeah, we said, let's call Mike, and then... 
Josh Whitney decided that your name needed to be Gomer. Yeah. Josh had a stoner voice. He wasn't a stoner. I hope he's not now, but he always had that like surfer stone. Hey man. Like, and he called me up and he got on the payphone Cause you guys called me from a payphone, and he was like, what's up Gormley. Oh wait, Gomer. <laughs> it was so funny. So we- funny. And that name stuck. I used it ever since. You owned it. I owned it. I owned it. Now I was just thinking, I'm turning 40 on May 25th. I don't know if you know that. It's a jubilee solemnity of the nativity. I'm, I'm usually a few months late on your birthdays, but yeah, you forgive fine. me. I do. I do. Just like middle school. So, uh, but no, the funny thing is, I was just thinking today, should I drop Gomer? I'm turning 40 and I'm going by Gomer. My dad hates it. My mom hates it. But the world seems to love it. I don't know. What, what should I do? Keep Gomer? No, you're known by Gomer. I mean, I, I live in Denver and sometimes... You know, I'll come across people who went to Steubenville and, you know, I'll say, do you know Michael Gormley? And they're like, no, not ringing up. I'm like, Gomer. Oh, Gomer? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, he fathered two of my children. I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Gomer is a legend. Michael Gormley is a nobody. Okay. That's true. Keep Gomer. My Uh kids love it. My wife loves it. (laughs) Scott Hahn loves it. Yeah. Yeah, God bless them. God bless them. Okay, whatever. So it'll stay gomer at layevangelist.com if anyone needs to email me. Oh, good Lord. So I wanted to have you on the show because the, the, the common jokes that we have about you among Luke and my circle of friends, Luke, John, and Adam, and even a Dave Van Bickle, is uh, every time I called you, which was like maybe once every three months, something radically yes. new in your life had happened. Like, ra- like. What what types of changes in people's lives that happen, you know, two or three times a lifetime was happening to you like like semesterly. So I remember one time I called and uh, you're like, Mike, I'm loving it. Living in the frat life, loving it. Then uh call you three months later and you're like, Mike, Mike, I'm going to go to Franciscan. We're going to do this. We're going to be roommates, buddy. And I'm like, awesome. Then three months later, Mike. Mike, uh, instead I'm going to seminary. And you ended up pulling uh, how many guys into seminary? One one other guy from the frat, right? Good question. And Two did, guys from the frat eventually went to the seminary. One became a monk at Conception Abbey in Missouri. Uh, yeah, one went to the seminary and also left. But, yeah, there was, a, there was a, at least a couple. Um there's probably more, you know, yeah. I, I bring them in <laughs> and you take them out because when you and left seminary, <laughs> when you left seminary a year and a half later, how many people did you pull out? It was like seven guys all left, all left a, the a seminary. A few came out with me. Yeah. I don't, I don't ask people to follow me. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't force them. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Th- I did have life changing events in rapid succession <laughs> Uh, thankfully, my life slowed. Well, it didn't really slow no, down. It, it just became it. different. It's never slowed down. I have 11 kids now. but So, no, it hasn't slowed down. Now I just have a baby once a year. <laughs> An annual baby is what Lauren and I call it. The annual baby. Oh, that's beautiful. Relationships take 
work. A lot of us will drop anything to go and help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? And I have now three people who are very close to me who use BetterHelp.com slash Foxes to get that sweet, sweet discount, who use BetterHelp on an ongoing basis, and it really, really works. We need to make sure that we, too, are mentally, physically, and emotionally healthy. This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take care of your most important relationship, the one you have with your Yourself and Yahweh. The good thing is they have Christian counselors. Whether it's hitting the gym, making time for your haircut, or even trying therapy, you are your greatest asset. So invest the time and effort into yourself like you do for other people. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, which I really don't want to. <laughs> it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Catching Fox's listeners get 10% off their first month, which is huge, at BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Foxes. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and thousands of episodes of Catching Foxes. It was funny because, so then it was like, I'm going to Oklahoma State University. I'm going to, you were like a business major or something. You had these dreams of law school or politics. And then it became, I'm going to Franciscan. Then it became, I'm going to seminary. Now, what for you made you want to go to seminary? Because I know that like every young Catholic man should consider a seminary, right? But you took the plunge. I talked about it. You did it. Um, You're a man of action. You could say that. That's why you have eleven kids. Uh, well, I, th- I think yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think I think we need to take a zoom out for a minute and go back to sixth grade. Yes, Mike. Okay. Yeah. I think we need to zoom out because these are the origins of my <laughs> decisions, right? Yeah. Um, so sixth grade is when you and I met, mm-hmm. right? How old? How old were we? Was that 10? 10, 10 or eleven? Years old? Yeah. Ten yeah. or eleven. All right. So I was thinking about this today. So. We're in sixth grade. You just came back to All Saints, right? You you left. My family ran out of money. Yeah, I was there in kindergarten. Okay. There in kindergarten, came back in sixth grade after public school, first through fifth. Right. And so I had just started at All Saints in the fifth grade. So I kind of was established. And then sixth grade began. And I remember it was, I think, you know, it was an art class. And you drew... The Superman logo. Uh huh. Okay. Some things never. You, you were into superheroes back then, right? And you still are. So you drew the Superman logo, and then I I came upon you and I saw this and I could not believe that you actually drew it. I I kept insisting you traced it. Okay. <laughs> ten year old Chris Miller was harassing ten year old Mike Gomer. And uh, I, I was incredulous that you had actually drawn this. Um, anyway, that was the start of a beautiful friendship. So anyway, <laughs> I, I eventually believed you. And uh, and then we started hanging out, right? Superman was the beginning of your consideration of the seminary. Absolutely. Well, well so th- then, it, you know, then we, we started becoming friends. Our relationship, our friendship, that opened me up to get to know you and get to know your family. I remember walking into your house in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and there's a giant bloody crucifix <laughs> over the mantle, 
Okay. This is like blowing my mind. I'm like, these people, these people are Catholic. Okay. I'm Catholic. <laughs> my family's, my, but I mean, these are real Catholics. Right. And so these things are just, you know, making, making a, a big impression on me as, as we're hanging out and as I'm getting to know you and as the years are going by and, you know, it was just very clear that your family, your parents, they, you know, they had real faith. Eventually, I mean, that, I mean, that was making an impact the whole time. And, you know, it was kind of embedded in me that that is the way I want to live my life. Right. And so when, when my kids asked me, well, dad, you know, what made you this way? I always, I always talk about you and your family and the influence that had on me. Um, so thank you, Mike. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> See, you, you've been doing it since sixth grade, man. You're still doing it. <laughs> but uh, really, that, that made, you know, it's made such an impact on me and, and uh, made me realize that serious adults, serious Catholics are out there. And there, there are good Catholic families out there. And I want to, I want to, I want to have that one day. Um, I want to be a good Catholic man at that, you know, in sixth grade is also when my parents got divorced. You know, we met at that, at a pivotal, you know, once again, a pivotal time in my life. It was so interesting because you, you know, I came in and my friend that I never forgot was Eric Rawson. And Eric Rawson was this kid I knew in kindergarten that we were thick as thieves and then never spoke again until the day I walked into class in sixth grade. And Eric was like, Mike. And I was like, Eric, you know, it was so funny, but you and Elliot Selman and all these people, you were already established. And I was coming into this friend group. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it was so um, fascinating, uh, like the interweaving of like weird friend groups from, you know, like you're all little kids, but like, that's the most important thing in your life is your friends, you know, all this stuff. And then one day you called me up and Eric lived in like rural suburbs, you know, he lived like 10 miles away from us, but you lived two miles away, two and a half miles away from my house. So you would call me up and be like, Hey, do you want to come over tonight and play basketball? And that started this thing where we would just play 21 or horse or, you know, one-on-one for hours in your incredibly steep driveway for a basketball (laughs) court. Um, And we would just play literally for hours and we'd ride bikes and do all that stuff. And I had no idea that the reason why you kept inviting me on like Wednesday nights at that time was when your mom was having her women's support group, divorce wives uh, or divorce women's support group. And you like wanted nothing to do with them. And I remember one Halloween, you had a Freddy Krueger hand and we tied a string on it and we would go upstairs and they were meeting downstairs and we would try to scare them by throwing it and pulling on the string and having it swing back and completely ruining the meeting yeah <laughs> i was taking out some uh some anger and and depression yeah <laughs> with the freddy krueger thing yeah there's this famous moment in your um in your college fraternity you're living at the biggest wildest uh, fraternity. Oh, yeah, let's get back to that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then one day, one fabled day, someone had hardcore pornography, a VHS cassette tape. <laughs> and I didn't you even decided, know you were going to bring this one up. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm bringing every old wound up. And you decided <laughs> that you were going to be the judgment right hand of God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Your, your last guest, Dr. What was his name? Dr. Larry 
Oh, Chap, Dr. Larry Chap. Dr. Yeah. Larry Chap. I was laughing. By the way, great, great second uh, second part to that. Lauren and I were listening. She listened to the whole thing with me. I listened to it twice. Yeah. Nice. Um, anyway, I was laughing because he said he called himself uh, a mini Torquemada. <laughs> yeah, mini Torquemada. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that was a famous uh, event uh, in the life of Chris Miller, where I launched what I called Operation Rescue <laughs> in, in, in the in the fraternity house. So this was so we're kind of. We're, we're jumping forth we're, or we're jumping yeah. back and forth we're, we're, we're uh, the timeline is, is a little bit fuzzy here, but this was Chris Miller right after major conversion, but still living in the fraternity house. Yeah. And so I decided that I needed to single-handedly snuff out all forms of evil. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I knew about a pornography tape uh, floating <laughs> around the house and I decided that I needed to uh, launch a rescue mission. And I, I even, I, I literally named it operation rescue and I only told one person, my roommate. And uh, yeah, I, I extracted the tape. I, I did some uh, sabotage on it for some reason. I didn't just throw it away. I just, I like ruined it, but left it you there. You ripped out the ribbon. I like ripped out the, yeah, the tape, <laughs> but then I left it there. Like why did, I, I'm not sure how I was thinking about this. But. I know how you were thinking. You were thinking you're the right hand of God, and you were bringing judgment, and you wanted yeah. everyone to know. They, the they needed to know. They needed to know. You did not misplace anything. Yeah. The right hand of God found yeah. you. Yeah. So, you know, it, it took about, you know, 30 minutes, and everyone knew it was me, and, you know, locked myself in my room and was hiding in fear. They They were out to get me, but... Uh, that that was one of the one of several things that happened where I, I don't keep up with any of those guys anymore. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because when you were telling me, you called me up and you're like, Mike, Mike, remember the the porn tape that I ripped to shreds? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, They're putting me on trial. They're they're thinking about kicking me out of the house. And I have to own up that I destroyed someone's property, but at the same time, you know. <laughs> hey man, you got to do what you got to do. Post conversion, you, you I know. know what led to your conversion. What was it in besides you know me in sixth grade? Uh, it was just you, you in sixth grade. You have a picture of me <laughs> from sixth grade. And you would look at it and be like, "Christ is real. Christ is real. The Eucharist is a true presence. What am I living for?" Yeah, I still carry carry that picture around in my wallet. I don't I don't have any pictures of my kids, just you. <laughs> just, just 11 pictures of me. 11 pictures of you in a beard. Yeah, I was living the fraternity life. That quickly came up empty for me. I, I thought it was great at first, you know, but I still had a conscience. You know, I'm just in the midst of debauchery and I'm starting to get, you know, restless and a bit unhappy fairly quickly there. But, you know, I... Uh, I was living the life and uh, thought this was this was something that was going to be fulfilling. But yeah, it was kind of a, a St. Paul type moment for me where um, I was just sitting at a desk studying one night and it just hit me that uh, I needed to go to confession and completely and totally change my life and uh, follow Christ and be a good Catholic. And that was when I was, yeah, freshman in college, 19 years old. That night I went to confession. And I never turned back. And everyone said, what the hell happened to you, Chris? <laughs> this is bizarre. Yeah. Every, you know, everyone, my uh, friends, family, they all were scratching their head. But what, what was your family scratching their head for? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you think your family would want that? 
You'd think, but no, I mean, it, it wasn't all bad. Uh, I mean, it, it, some of it was the, re, you know, the radical choices, you know, a few months later, I'm going to the seminary, you know, I'm telling them all about the Catholic church and where they're going wrong and where they're going right. You know, some of it was a little misguided enthusiasm, but you know, I'm sure I could be annoying at, at some time. What? <laughs> it's like Dr. No, Larry no. Chap talking about being uh, a heresy hunter, you know, and right, yeah. going to there, do there, this. There's a, there's a little bit of heresy hunting, I think, going on, which <laughs> is, is, it is funny because I never talk about this stuff, and I'm talking about it on a podcast. Okay. <laughs> there ain't no ism like voyeurism. <laughs> what did you love about seminary? Let me put it that way. One of my very good friends. Of course, he's not my best friend. Nice. That's you. Yep. You know. But uh, I made, you know, some good friends there. One that I still keep up with at Highburger. That friendship has been, um, you know, it's it's just been a great uh, a great thing for me. And that that common experience of having gone to the seminary, that that was great. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know it really deepened my prayer life. It made me. Um, I had a you know a, a really good spiritual director as well. So it really immerse me in the prayer life of the church and pushed me to have an actual relationship with, with Jesus and, you know, a real prayer life. So that those things were very positive. It deepened everything about what the faith is. And it also opened my eyes to, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly in the church, which is a reality. The bad and the ugly did not undermine the faith that I, that I have at all. It just made me realize that there's human beings in the church and we have to strive for holiness no matter what situation we're in. Yeah. Yeah. What a nice saccharine answer. Um, just <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I can but, get it. I can get into it. But Well, the funny thing was, so th- this is, this is all we hear in college. All right. Mike, Mike, seminary's awful. Oh, I got this guy who challenges everything the church teaches, and we're all required to go to him for philosophy class. And then I talked to you, Mike, you would never believe what our formators are saying, Mike. And it was like one horrible thing after another. And I was contemplating going, like, what my freshman year, I would tell people, oh, I'm going to go to seminary in the spring semester. Oh, I'm going to go my sophomore year. You know, like, I, it was always, like, right around the corner that I'm going to leave Franciscan and go to seminary. Then I met girls and that went right out the window. But um, the experience of it through you, like I was living through you because I was like, I wanted to go to seminary so bad. I wanted to do that. I wanted to become a priest. And then uh, like, I think I want to say it was like your, maybe uh, your summer after your first year, we all had copies of goodbye, good men. Oh yeah. And it was all about how like liberal seminaries are turning away young faithful Catholics and all this stuff. And that book, I didn't realize this, but that book was like a watershed moment in American Catholicism because it pointed, it wasn't just like, Oh, these reactionary conservatives. It like pointed out the rot in the seminary system. A lot of people were joining seminary for all the wrong reasons and all this stuff. And then (laughs) I think, I want to say that, like, your experience of seminary was, like, a living example of goodbye good men. Because when you would tell stories, you're like, you know, you see these dudes, like, hook up, and then you go to tell your director or your rector or whatever, and they're like, you were drinking underage? And you're like, uh, well, yeah, because I, yes, but... (laughs) <laughs> there were dudes like do you not care that seminarians were you know what do you mean now, and then when you left not only did you take a ton of people with you <laughs> but the that year the rector was removed 
from the seminary, <laughs> like the whole thing, like imploded for a season, and then now is thankfully much better. But uh, <laughs> yeah, kinda... yeah. But now, Mike, you you did my, your initial question. There was the positives. <laughs> okay, so I I gave the saccharine answer. Yeah. But yeah, no, th- there there was there was a lot to complain about for sure, and I definitely told you every. Uh, Gory details. Every aspect of those gory details. <laughs> but, yeah, the, you know, there was definitely a, a lot of negatives uh, kind of opened my eyes to the rot um, in, in seminaries for sure. And you're right. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the good, normal men that were there left. It's something that will take a while to be healed in the church, I'm sure. <laughs> you were so funny. One day you were like, I'm hanging out with this group. They're, they're the really traditional guys. You know, this is it. This is a conservative traditional guys. And then you called me like a month later and you're like, they just like playing dress up. <laughs> they like wearing lace. <laughs> it's all uh, yeah. fiddlebacks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's another problem, right? Yeah. You have, you have guys that like to put on the trappings of traditionalism, but it's just, you know, it's just a, a, a costume to hide other problems right yeah yeah so yeah it was like you know i was a young guy looking for authentic catholicism right some something that i could really be a part of and be proud of and that was that was sometimes tough to find so athletic greens athletic greens <laughs> okay can we I, I just i know we have i know we've got it we, ha, we ha, yeah. have some copy my gosh i am obsessed with athletic greens i'm absolutely obsessed with our next partner who has a product that I literally use every day. I started taking um, Athletic Greens because the pitch sounded very cool. This year, I wanted to just embrace embrace health again. You know, uh, that's just my big thing. And I, so it's one of the main reasons why I did Athletic Greens. And we and we uh, were able to meet with them and hear uh, a little bit of like what they're about. A couple other podcasts that are on par. They sent us these starter packs. Yeah. Which are awesome. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This is what I do. I come downstairs. I open the kennel for my dog. Dog comes out. I go right over, fill up. My glass of water, 12 ounces, cold water, dump one scoop of Athletic Greens in there, and it supplements for the whole day. It's awesome because the stuff they use is sourced from whole food ingredients made in New Zealand. It tastes good. It's a powder that you dump into your drink. You can take it on the go. All of my health care regimens have fallen to the wayside except for Athletic Greens. That should tell you something. <laughs> I was a bit skeptical at first just because I was like, am I going to be peeing very expensive pee? Like That's what I'm, I'm wondering. So tons of people t- take some some like type of a multi vitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality in- ingredients that your body's going to like actually absorb. I can feel that happen like immediately afterwards. And I've been I'm sleeping a little bit better. Everyone, I'm begging you to buy it so they will keep giving it to us. <laughs> I don't even know if they're going to. And, I mean, like I, like honestly, God, I'm not kidding. Um, we're gonna like both Aaron and I are gonna keep doing this after the problem with these sponsors we start getting them because we're doing an ad and then i end up spending all the ad money on buying more products so So here's a great thing this stuff is lifestyle uh friendly whether you eat paleo uh, keto vegan dairy free gluten free Mm -hmm. it's fine it's got less than one gram of sugar uh no gmos which is very important for me and my family no nasty chemicals or artificial anything it's really good stuff so uh this is what we're going to say to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your purchase i have the travel packs i will be using the travel packs you don't have to refrigerate the travel packs all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash foxes again that's athleticgreens.com slash foxes move over joe rogan to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance thank you to athletic greens for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes and my body so good it's so good 
So then I call you on the phone. You're at seminary. Then I call you again, Mike. I'm engaged. <laughs> you're still at seminary. You're now with Lauren. The story of Lauren is an awesome story. Wait, wait. Just to clarify, I did not get engaged while in the seminary. Okay. Oh, no. That should be. He started yeah. dating. He started dating <laughs> while you were wrapping up that semester. So how did you meet Lauren? How did you meet your now wife? Well, I was. Uh, it was before I was officially in the seminary. I was going. It was the summer before. And... We, I went to the uh, the Catholic, the Newman Center in Tulsa at the University of Tulsa. I was going there just for a Sunday mass. Yeah, we met there. There was another guy who was in the same boat as me who was about to go to the seminary, and he was living at the Newman Center. And he, he asked me if I wanted to hang out, you know, so I said, yeah. Then I went over there maybe a week later to the Newman Center, and it was me and this other pre-seminarian, and then Lauren, my now wife, and another couple of girls or something. Um, And so we're hanging out in this little apartment above the Newman Center, and I have no idea. I'm kind of annoyed that there's a bunch of people here who I don't know. And so Joe (laughs) says, I know what we should do. Let's watch the movie Dude, Where's My Car? Nice. Which is the most ridiculous Waste of time movie. And then? No and then. And then? No and then. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the only, that's that's the whole movie, right? At the drive-thru. So anyway, they are about to load this like VHS tape, right? Yeah. At this point, I'm fed up. I mean, I'm sitting in the corner. Brooding. Yeah, I'm brooding. Okay. And I just announce to the group who's, you know, they're about to watch this movie. I'm going to go pray the rosary in the chapel. See oh, you later. You're so holy. You're so holy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a few minutes later, they're there in the chapel with me, and then we all pray the rosary together. Mm. That is the beginning of a beautiful friendship with my now wife, Lauren. But she she loved the fact that I wanted to go pray the rosary. Okay. I was playing hard to get with the rosary. Yeah. There you go. And then that summer, she would like, like you guys would go to adoration. She would like cry. And you're like, why is this woman just crying all the time? It was like. Because she was falling for you, and you're going off to seminary, and she can't do or say anything, right? And then you would call me, and you're like, I like this girl, though. Go to seminary. Oh, what do I do? Then you went to seminary. You're like, we're, we're cutting ties. We're cutting it. It's done. I'm going to seminary. And then when you made that decision to go back, I'm reliving your life for you, just so you know. Thank when you. When you made that Thank decision you. to go back um, to seminary, I think that was like a blow to her. And then it was like halfway through, you, you like got in your old the car that some priest had given you and you drove to Tulsa, like drove through the night and you guys started dating. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Didn't you like hang out with her for like a weekend and then you drove back for school on Monday and you put all these pictures of you like kissing her <laughs> all over your door to piss off the other seminarians. No, 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 <laughs> what no, was no. That story? It was something I, I, like that, that. That's some embellishment there. But... Oh, come on. Yeah. yeah. You decoupaged a collage on your door. I wish I would have. Yeah. Yeah. It was right before I was about to leave the seminary for good. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go visit Lauren. Yeah. So I, I drove like all night to go visit her. And then, then I drove all the way back and I got back to the seminary on, on a Sunday evening. And I figured nobody, nobody knew the difference. Right. But then the, the rector, he called me out. He called me to his office and said, where, where were you on Sunday? You know? <laughs> and I said, I, I went to mass at another parish, which was true. He didn't know it was, he didn't know it was in another state. <laughs> <laughs> and you joined the military. 
<laughs> yeah, you join the military. So then you go become uh, because it, it was it was the Air Force because they offered you the most money, right? Why I chose the Air Force is, is a, a bit of a funny story because I was talking to a Marine recruiter and I was sure that I was going to be a Marine. I mean, come on, why not? And I went to daily mass at the cathedral in downtown Tulsa and I ran into another seminarian and I said, hey, he's now a priest in the Diocese of Tulsa. Uh, his name is Father Carey. And I, I said, hi, Father, or at that point, Kerry, Kerry, Hey, I'm, I'm joining the Marines. And he goes, don't do it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, no, I was in the air force. I know the military. You need to be in the air force. I'm telling you, it's the best branch. You're going to go through hell. If you join the Marines, you know, you want to get married, you want to have a family go air force. And so at that point I decided to join the air force. <laughs> so then I, <laughs> I went over to the Air Force recruiter and signed up. But yeah, yeah, I mean, th there's only so much uh, persuasion in crawling through mud and getting shot at and <laughs> all that. So, I mean, that's attractive to a young man, don't yeah. get me wrong. But yeah, I, you know, I also wanted to see my family and live Have to fight another day. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Air Force it was. Air Force in 2003, right? 2004. Yeah. Okay. And you were off there. And the, the fascinating thing that happened, right? So the war in Iraq is heating up. War in Afghanistan is going. And you join the military, right? You're young. Mm -hmm. You're in the Air Force. You're being bounced. You know, you go to basic training. And I'm about to go to Austria for Franciscan. And you go through all the stuff. And you're like, dude, there's a F-16 base in, like, Aviano Air Force Aviano. Base. This would be awesome. I'll be like three hours by train away from you. This will be incredible. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then it's like, and like we kept having this thing where it was like, you know what, Chris Miller, the universe is not going to be kind to you. And instead they sent you <laughs> to Japan. <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest. No. So, yeah, you, you, you get to, you know, write down which bases you want to go to. They call it your dream sheet. Uh, but then I found out that they, you know, it's called a dream sheet because then they read it and they just say, they just laugh at you and say, yeah, you're dreaming. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I put, I picked every overseas base except Korea, Japan, and they considered Alaska overseas. And there's a beautiful air force base in Aviano, Italy. So uh, anyway, uh, my orders came down and it was for Japan but then there was a, a process if you wanted to swap assignments with a fellow classmate, you could do that with, with you know, a few approvals. And so one of my classmates, he desperately wanted to go to Japan. He had Aviano. We were going to swap. We tried to swap, but then it was some bureaucratic snafu. Uh, he wasn't supposed to go to Aviano in the first place. They messed that all up. And so at the very last minute, they said, you know what? you are going to Japan. And so newly married Chris Miller and Lauren set off for Japan. Yeah. How did she take to that adjustment? At first it was exciting. The thought of moving to a, you know, a foreign country. Uh, yeah. It was just exciting to embark on that journey. When we got there, there were a lot of tears um, because we woke up the next morning and, you know, you're on a, 
fairly bare bones military base staring at razor wire perimeter and wondering what did I just do? <laughs> and Lauren was in tears. Uh, I still remember that when we, when we woke up the first morning, but you know, as the, we were there about three and a half years and by the end of it, she was crying because we were leaving. Um, there's a, you know, a tight knit military community. There's a chapel on base, you know, so you have your Catholic community that's on base. And um, it was a small air force base in Northern Japan. And, yeah, it was a really good experience. Met a lot of good friends. We still have friends to this day that we keep in touch with. Yeah, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of interesting experiences, but definitely, definitely worth it. Yeah, and it's funny because that was one of those things where I would call you and you're like, uh, I'm joining the military. <laughs> I'll call you again. You're like, I'm in the Air Force. Boot camp is this time, blah, blah, blah. And then you called me one day in a panic in the middle of boot camp. And you're like, Mike, Mike. Uh, we're going to get married at Wichita Falls Air Force Base. And it, that was one of your tech schools or something, one of the, yep, the places yep. you get sent after boot camp to prepare you for your career. And you're going to get married at the, the multi-purpose chapel. And uh, I thought it was so funny. I was like, this is going to be crazy. But your marriage has 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 these interesting reverberations in, in a lot of, in my life, and then in telling these stories. Because... Um, there are certain key things that happened. Number one, it was two faithful Catholics trying to figure out how to have a sacrament of holy matrimony in this insane thing where like you're living for three months here, then here, then here, and you're like all over the place. And then you're going to go to Japan and you obviously wanted to be married in Japan, but there were so many moving pieces that to get that was like a Herculean effort. And so your wife was able to, you know, get the things set up for Masala or for um, Wichita Falls. The wedding preparations are starting. You would call me up. You asked me to be the best man. Eddie uh, from seminary was the other groomsman. You're like, we're just having two people for each of us in our wedding party. Um, I think your wife, she had a maid of honor and a matron of honor, right? Like, yes, yeah. And um, and it was going to be at this chapel. It was going to be small. But here's the funny thing: for all the rush, for all the bare bones that it was compared to the obsessive and stupid wedding culture, the, the uh, congressional uh, industrial bridal complex that we have uh, like the bridal magazine society, all the stuff that goes into weddings. Like you guys did the exact opposite. And it was one of the greatest funnest weddings I've ever been a part of. It was so different from any wedding i've ever been a part of we drive up to to through dallas to wichita falls um you know we're all trying like the 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 groomsmen uh is fighting with the the maid of honor uh because they were like dating and it was super awkward for everyone else and i was like i just want to drink with my friends (laughs) like let's just do this thing you had all this conflict with the with the military chaplain on base, the Catholic priest, because oh, yeah. he thought you weren't serious. <laughs> then you were like, "Listen, buddy," and he was an officer, right? And you, yeah, he was like, yeah. and you're like an enlisted puke, right? <laughs> and you're like, "You're a priest first and an officer second. <laughs> and he like launches into you. How do care. I get into these confrontations? It's Chris, ridiculous. you are the most confrontational man on the yeah, face I was, of I, the I earth. literally had to confront this this priest who was the base chaplain. It was it was crazy. Yeah, I was like, I don't. At that point, I'm like, I don't even care if he doesn't marry us. I'm, I'm going to war anyway. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Oh man! And then we went, and it was, it was. Uh, 
I think they had like the the because it was multiple religions used that chapel. Right. Yeah. So yeah, military. Yeah, military chapels. They're multi. Yeah, multi use. It's for the synagogue, for the Protestants, for the Catholics, for the Wiccans. You know, um, the Wiccans have their own weird closet. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you get the picture. Yeah. And uh, so we ended up doing it. And I remember Lauren telling me one day, she said, Mike, you know, with all the conflict that we had with the chaplain priest, with all the problems that we were having, we sit down and we knew that God was there when the priest said that he's from Guam. <laughs> and Guam was like a joke that I would always reference. I would I would say like people would be like, hey, when's that happen? And I would say Thursday at noon, but only in Guam. And I would say that it was like this weird habitual, like a your mama joke, but it was just Guam. Like I just thought it was a funny place. And then when they said that, she was like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about the Guam connection. But yeah, it's still to this day. You know, my kids will say, Dad, where where are we going? And I, I'll tell them Guam. You know? <laughs> it's, it's just stuck in my head from sixth grade Gomer. Sixth grade Gomer. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, America. But your wife, one of the things that she did was she bought a used wedding dress. Yep, on eBay. And on eBay. You know, divorced women want to get rid of their wedding dresses. <laughs> spend you can 10, find 000, deals. You yep. spend $10,000, sell it for 60 bucks, And, um, you know, and the, the phrase that she used was, uh, or I can't remember exactly how she said it, but it's like the thing should have the sacrament should have more meaning than the than the the externals. And when we were getting married years later, you know, I remember at one point I sat down with my wife um, and I just said, you know, like Lauren found hers. Shannon looked online for a dress. She just didn't like the ones, but she did the same thing. She went on eBay. She looked up wedding dresses and all that stuff. And you find tons of wedding dress for like 50 bucks. And, um, and then she goes and we bought simple wedding bands. Um, you know, like there's all this stuff about, you know, you gotta have, you spend three months salary. All that stuff is a stupid lie. <laughs> Who comes up with that crap? You have a yep. simple wedding band. Mine has Hebrew written on it from song of songs, which is very important to me. And, um, Shammers is Shammers. Shannon's is just hammered gold, um, white gold and, uh, matches our engagement ring. And and that's it. Like you don't have to go overboard. You don't have to obsess. Now we had a an, a, a fun wedding. You were at our wedding. We had a blast. Yes. Yep. My brother Chris, right before the wedding started, came up to me and said, "Mike, fifty percent of all marriages stay together. So are you sure you want to do this?" <laughs> like you suck. <laughs> you oh suck. my gosh! Come on. <laughs> Standard Chris Gormley. Standard Chris Gormley. Love Christian. Yeah. I want to go back to confrontational Chris Miller. Oh. Let's talk about you in the military being super confrontational. <laughs> like there was one time you told me a story. There was like new people on base and you left the door open to go yell at a commanding officer because a superior officer, because he like screwed up something and you left the door open because he was known as like the hard ass and you knew you were going to win your argument. So you wanted to pretend like you were more hard ass than than the green. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember all this stuff now. Um, yeah. I remember it all. It's in my dream journal. Okay. Well, let's, let's get in. We'll get it. We'll get into a little bit of that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, my, my job in the air force, what they needed at the time, they just kind of steer you into whatever they need. So it was F 16 avionic technician, solder, 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 solder away. I, I don't think I ever soldered much, but, um, I did do other things uh, that were more painful than that. But anyway, uh, 
Yeah, so it was a lot of a lot of outdoor hard blue collar maintenance work, uh, troubleshooting the uh, avionic systems on the jet. Um, but I I, uh, I needed time to to uh, finish my degree, and I needed uh, yeah just some time to do other things besides work and sleep and wake up and do it all over again. I mean, these shifts were brutal. 13, 14 hour shifts. I mean, you know, and we had constant military exercises. So the base was right across the Sea of Japan from North Korea. We had to constantly play war games and pretend we were at war with North Korea and what would happen if this actually occurred because North Korea was shooting missiles, you know, over our base. Over Japan. Yeah. And so these these exercises were brutal because you had to do, you know, all the work that you would normally do, which was difficult enough, in full ha- in full uh, uh, chemical chemical warfare gear, gas mask. You know, you had your M sixteen. You know, you had to make sure you're, you know, acting like you're in you're in a all out war zone. Um, and so anyway, for, for I, I hours needed, I need- in the sun. On a on a cement tarmac, you know, where it's like 120 degrees. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That that was if you were lucky and you got the day shift, right? So um, this was 24 seven. But anyway, uh, yeah, there was some confrontations there in the uh, Air Force. Well, because the hard thing is the hard thing that people don't understand is that you're like you went into the military with what I think I would have with those like you you do it because of patriotism you love your country and a lot of us thought that the military was this last american institution of like good old fashioned values right this kind of how it's built up and if you're a republican and we both very much were uh you had this idea of the military as like the last of the god-fearing americans and you get in there and you're like the fastest growing religion is wiccanism what are you talking about and then you look around and you're like wanton sexual debauchery what are you talking about and you know, and a lot of the, I don't think a lot of people are just prepared for it. How do you stay Catholic in the middle of what you thought was going to be something that supported your faith and then it became a lot harder? Yeah, I think the military was a continuation in some ways of the seminary. It was kind of a continuation of... Eyes uh, wide open. <laughs> I, yeah, my eyes being open to the reality of the brutalness of life, right? And and the the cultural environment that we have to operate in. So yeah, I mean, I was in the midst of people who could care less about the Catholic faith or anything that that I believe in. A lot a lot of debauchery, a lot of immorality in in the military, a lot of yeah, interesting uh stories there, but um yeah, but there's, you know, these bright spots. So there there was a, you know, strong Catholic community there was the the shrine of Our Lady of Akita. Just Did a few you ever hours. Go there? Yes, yeah. Spent the night there. Do you feel like we're living in the Akita prophecies? Absolutely, yeah. I really do. Yeah, but yeah, I just, you know, there was just bright spots that were just I could where you could just see God was there, and I mean Akita was one of those definitely. Um, so I, I I was able to go on a retreat there. Yeah, and actually the the day. We went to Sunday Mass, I remember, and that was the day John Paul II died. I was in Akita. Oh, wow. Yeah. But also, you know, I got deployed to Iraq when I was in the Air Force. And, but yeah, in Iraq still, it was like, okay, I feel like I'm in this desolate place, this, this you know, place of literal death. 
which which makes me want to go on a quick tangent. I and I'm, I'm sure you remember this one. So I remember at one point after I had joined the Air Force, you said to me, and this this pissed me off so bad. And Lauren and I still talk about it, and I laugh about it to this day. <laughs> you said, Chris. You are now a part of the long arm of the culture of death. <laughs> and I was like, what the? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> that was so funny. Ah, the I long forgot that arm. I said that. Can you believe you said that to me? It, it was just so. Anyway, <laughs> so there I am, you know, on the, you know, I'm the fist of the long arm of the culture of death. You also have to remember, this is peak antiwar.com days. Oh, so I know. Yeah. Go I on. know. I know. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> which makes it even more funny, you know, it's like best friend Chris Miller joined the military. Gomer's on antiwar.com <laughs> for 23 hours a day, right? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was just an hour a day. But then I was on the Cato Institute podcast for yes. hours in their libertarian yeah, yeah. area. So you're, you're basically giving me this encouragement of, yeah, <laughs> keep going, you know, keep, you know, destroying and breaking things in, the, in, this, uh, in this thing you call the military. But anyway, so I got deployed to Iraq. But, I mean, that's another instance of, you know, just God kind of intervening in this desolation. I remember I got there, and the the very first day I started looking around on base, and this was Saddam Hussein's old uh, Air Force Academy base. We bombed it, took it over, said, thank you very much. We'll, we're going to be using this. This is Balad Air Force Base? Yeah, Balad, Balad. Air Force Base. And uh, so I'm looking around, and I find the base chapel, which is a tent, and in the in the tent is the blessed sacrament. And so um, I was able to go pray there every day. I was able to go to daily mass in Iraq every single day. I would work from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m., six days a week, and then go to mass at 5 p.m. every day. And my one day off was Sunday, so I was able to go to mass in the morning on Sunday. And uh, anyway, it was was a difficult time, but also, you know, just one of another instance where— God is kind of showing you, you know, if you're faithful, I will make sure that you you have what you need. And so that being able to pray in that tent and being able to call my wife frequently, uh, only at 15 minutes at a time, very frequently, I think almost every day I could call her for 15 minutes. Um, those were the things that got me through. Well, I remember this for me because um, you called me up and you had said, Mike, I just got word I'm going to... Um, Iraq. I'm going to be at the Air Force Base, which is near um, or in in the green zone, near the green zone, all that stuff. And you were describing it to me, and I'm just like filled with fear, right? And then uh, you call me a little bit later, a few weeks go by, and you're like, "We got these. What do you call them? Red flag drills, where of live fire. Mm-hmm. We use real ammunition in Las Vegas, and uh, you do all the stuff like as if you know you're dropping real ordnance, and people need to know what that's like and what it sounds like." And what it feels like and all that stuff. And then you go from all of that with all of that and you um, you find out that, you know, people, insurgents try to attack the base all the time, but it's patrolled by drones. And they show you all these videos of people with like mortars that they're trying to fire and, you know, it goes nowhere near the things. But then you call me up one day and you're like, Mike, Mike, you cannot tell Lauren this. I'm like, what? And he goes, I found out. Where my bunkhouse is, or whatever you call it, where where your what do you call it? Trailer. Okay. <laughs> and the previous deployment, uh, one of these mortar rounds hit it and 
killed a guy in this area that I'm also going to be sleeping in. And they tell you, like, you know, we got this huge, like, 25-mile perimeter, whatever it was. But then it's like, but sometimes bad things happen. And then you got real quiet. And you were like, so if anything happens to me, promise me you'll take care of my wife. And I was like, I want to be an adult. (laughs) I'm going to a bar right now. (laughs) What? What? Here you are. Here you are. You're in the military. You're married. You have at least, I think, what, one kid, two kids by this point? Two. Two kids, one of whom is my goddaughter. You're welcome. And all of a sudden. Actually, you have two goddaughters. Well, I said one of them (laughs) was my good lord. That's true. Sorry. Zero relationship with the second one. But who cares? That's not the point. Uh, no, and so you have this symbolic. whole <laughs> you have this whole life that you build up, and now you're going to get deployed, right? And you you get this news, and it's like I'm going to go be fighting in this war on the other side of the world, away from everyone. But the crazy thing was, I don't think you're. I, I think at this time, you and some of the people in your flight crew, flight line crew, you guys didn't get along very well, and so they like promoted you. To get you onto a desk job away from them, isn't that kind of what happened? Do you remember yeah, kind this? of, kind of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You definitely, they... I'm sure you deserved it, very much so. But, oh uh... yeah, yeah. Well, I, I caused, I, I ruffled a few feathers, so what? we we won't get into all that. But um, yeah, I, I, I uh... you don't want to get into it. It's all I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this is therapy, Chris. This is therapy <laughs> done wrong. <laughs> oh. Well, no, 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 we don't have to get into it. But you're at, so you're, okay, now you're yeah. at a desk job. So you're, yeah, right? kind of. Well, it wasn't kind quite of. a desk. It was, it was, it wasn't all outside work. So yeah, they, they ended up, uh, I requested this transfer to basically take care of all the tools and equipment. And it was uh, a little bit more of a uh, livable type situation um, where I wasn't working all hours and, um, it was, it was, a, the, the quality of life was a bit better. Um, so I requested this and they denied it. They're like, no, no, you're way too valuable out there on the flight line. But then I ruffled a few feathers, see, and I, I made some strategic moves and all of a sudden they were like, Hey, Chris, do you still want to, you know, get transferred? I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, see you later. So anyway, they, uh, they transferred me. Was and I, ruffling a few feathers when you called your congressman on the base commander? <laughs> who does that chris miller does that okay yeah there there was a congressman letter there was which that you know that's a funny story a little bit because (laughs) well i mean i started you know I wanted this transfer you know i i saw a lot of things that weren't quite ship shape you know, and I thought the the congressman should know. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you know, there there are standards with how often you should be doing your physical training. All right, because we're in the military. I like how but... even the tone of your voice has changed as you get into. <laughs> I'm presenting an argument. This is perfectly rational what I did. Basically, I told the military you shouldn't be doing this according to your own standard operating right. procedures, and they said, "Welcome to the military." So I said, "Give me a pad and paper." I'm, uh, let's go. Uh, let's, let's go. go. I will. Go. You know, I can read your regulations too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just started taking note of the things that needed to be improved. You know, like. <laughs> 
we needed as, more. As an enlisted, I love it. Yeah, as a as a lowly enlisted guy, I okay, you're not following regulations here. There's inappropriate conversations there. You're not doing the maintenance right there. You know, just I just started cataloging a few things, and then I turned that catalog into a letter to my congressman. And uh, yeah, it was funny because I requested anonymity, which they kind of gave me. But the problem is they, you know, in the ensuing base investigation, it was uh, well known that the investigation was coming from the congressman from Oklahoma. And I was (laughs) the uh, only airman from Oklahoma. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, <laughs> everyone knew it was me. Uh, and, uh, and then they have like they, a base-wide meeting, like all like 3,000 personnel. And it's like, yeah. if you have a problem, please go up your <laughs> chain of command. And you're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a citizen congressman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my chain. Citizen <laughs> congressman. Um, yes. Yeah. So I, I learned quickly that, you know, when you write a letter to your congressman, uh, there's an office in the Pentagon that handles that type of stuff and that the Pentagon contacts the base commander who then, you know, filters all that down to all the other commanders. So, yeah, it was um, I, I, I ruffled I guess I ruffled some feathers on the entire Air Force base, <laughs> but uh, you caused an international incident. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was it, anyway, it was uh it was funny because when it first came down, they did, you know, my immediate chain of command didn't know it was me and they were just f- completely freaking out. And they called this impromptu meeting and they're like, if anyone has a problem, you come talk to me. You don't go anywhere. You don't go around me. And then, then like, you know, within an hour they figured out it was me. And then all of a sudden they were like, Hey, Chris, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing? How's your family? How's your wife? How's your kids? How are things? Do, do you want, do you, how about that transfer? Do you still want that? Oh yeah. We think that'd be good for you. There, there are ways. So of, funny. There so are then ways one day you're, sit, you're sitting at a desk, yeah. and you, uh, you call me up, and we're on Skype or we're on whatever it is, and you call me up, and then that wasn't Skype; it was audio. And all of a sudden, this alert goes off, and it was an automated voice that said something like "Warning, warning, take shelter, incoming projectile" or some some. Thing like that. And I'm like, what? What's going on? You're like, uh, hold on. I got to get under the desk. Uh, this is in Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. It takes like 60 seconds. Hold on. Uh, uh, what? Okay. It's done. All right. But well, probably another insurgent got killed because they tried to take a pot shot at the base. And I'm like, freaking out. I'm like, what? What is happening? You're like, it just auto detects these things coming in. There are a lot of, a lot of mortar rounds that were coming at us from all, all sorts of places in Iraq. Um, but yeah, they would just, Sound the alarm, and then you would take cover. Um, thankfully, nothing hit me. There, there was there were a few close calls. One, one night I was sleeping in my bunk, and something exploded very close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still here, and there were a lot of people in the military that were in a lot more danger than I was. So I don't want to try to act like I'm some badass. I never left the base, and at the same time, you were doing University of Phoenix online. You you got your degree. You were uh, the LSAT prep course wasn't working online with your base Y uh, internet, so you were like studying from a book for the LSATs to prepare. So you're doing all this stuff, and the famous thing that I remember, everyone told me this. Everyone told me this. They're like, "Dude, 
your buddy Chris, he's going into law school. You got into Ave Maria Law School. They're like, he is going to hate his first year. It is so hard. It is so difficult. It is so painful. And at that time, I would go to the Ave Maria Youth Conference, and I was uh, a speaker, and then I became the host. And so it was like once a year I got to hang out with you guys. And uh, down there, you were in Michigan at first, but then you were down in Florida for the rest. And I met up with you, and I asked you, how how's it going? And you were like, oh, man, this is awesome. I get to sit in air conditioning. I'm at a desk. No one's shooting mortar rounds at me. I'm not wearing a hazmat suit. There's no chemical warfare drills. And all I have to do is read and write stuff down and remember stuff. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the military gave me a good perspective. It was like, hey, this this stuff isn't isn't that hard. I mean, you don't have to stress about it that much. But um, yeah, it was it was quite a quite a journey and a culture shock. Also, going from that type of environment in the military to Ave Maria Law School. Um, but yeah, we went to Michigan for my first year, and then the whole law school moved to Naples, Florida, and so we were there for the second and third year. Hey everyone, Gomer here, and I want to take a moment to talk to you about a new sponsor to the show, Petrus Development Conference. This conference being held at the Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida, will have over 150 Catholic fundraising professionals from ministries small and large. Their primary audience is campus ministries, Catholic high schools, Catholic grade schools, Catholic dioceses, and yes, Catholic apostolates. They want you to invest in yourself and your career as well as your ministry's future. So come and build community with other Catholic fundraisers in a beautiful beach resort location. If you register in March, check this out. You'll be eligible to win a free three-hour consulting package with a Petrus coach. If you register in April, the first 10 people will receive a $40 airport shuttle voucher. Oh, yeah. Fundraising is hard, so let the fine folks at the Petrus Development Conference give you the tools and the community to make it less hard and actually enjoyable and fulfilling. Take a walk on the sunny side of fundraising at the beach in Naples. And listen, I've done tons of these Catholic conferences, and I'm telling you, the ones at a resort on a beach is where you want to be. The Petrus Development Conference 2022 takes place on June 13th to the 15th. And if you sign up today and use the coupon code FOXES, you'll get 50 bucks off your registration. How awesome is that? So click the link in the show notes or head on over to PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. Special thanks to Petrus Development for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. So what do you do now as a husband and father of 11 kids? When people hear that you have 11 kids, uh, what do they think of that? Some people hate it. Some people love it. Some people can't believe it. How do you do it? But it, it comes up so often, I mean, especially in my work life you you got a job in a at a at a company and you were uh in-house counsel basically employed as a lawyer for a company and now you're not doing the legal stuff but you're in different parts of the company and and doing different things so i'm keeping it as you know abstract as possible we're keeping it high level Mm -hmm. but yes i i was in-house counsel in a company um in the legal department and then i've moved around outside of legal which has been good. I've, I've kind of expanded and broadened uh, what I've done within the company. It's given me a lot of different experience and not so narrow focused. You know, my company's you know, a pretty, pretty big company, you know, probably I'm estimating here, but, you know, maybe 7,000 employees. But everyone knows me, even if I don't know them, because everyone has heard the legend of Chris Miller with 11 kids. I mean, every year it goes up, but right now it's 11, <laughs> 11 kids. And uh, yeah, I mean, I will talk to people that I do not know. And they're like, wait, are you, 
you're the guy with all the kids, right? And 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 they they want to talk about, they want to know, they want to know what is going on with me. Okay. They want to know what kind of vehicle I drive. They want to know if I'm Mormon or Catholic. They want to know, and they usually they think I'm Mormon. They want to know how I go on vacation. How do we go to, you know, how do we homeschool? How do we do this? How do we do, you know, it's funny. Cause there's like a, there's a laundry list of standard questions. I mean, even at like, you know, in the checkout line at Walmart, I'll get some of this stuff. Right? <laughs> if I bring all my kids with me, but, um, do you often bring all your kids with you? No, not anymore. Not anymore. That's too taxing. But yeah, I mean, usually, you know, at work, it's, it's usually a positive thing. And, uh, but yeah, there's there's also sometimes when people are are very negative, um, not just not I'm not talking about at work, but just in general. At Walmart, some some yeah may, maybe at Walmart. I have a um, friend who has ten kids, and she said she gets the most crap from people at Walmart. These aren't all your kids, are they? Oh my gosh, do you know how that happens, right? Oh yeah, we get that. Yeah, do you know how that? Ha- I still get that stupid. Joke. What do you, do you say when that? people say? Do you know? Well, how that I happens? I often. Cite you, and I say, you you know what my best friend says when people ask him that question? He says, I do know what causes that, and my wife and I are really good at it, and we do it all the time. (laughs) You told me that one. Yeah, and it makes it so awkward. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay, I wish I wouldn't have brought this up. (laughs) Wow, me too. So occasionally I do do roll out that line. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sometimes we'll get some bizarre – some bizarre comments. One, years ago, we were at some like you know spring festival or something, walking around, and uh, someone said, "Wow, that woman must have a lot of sex." <laughs> it's like, okay. And you say, "Nope, just eleven times." Yeah, just eleven, 11 times. times. Done. And then the other day, I think we were, we were going into ch- where were we going? We were going into uh, oh, like an ice cream shop with all the kids, and this was just last weekend on Sunday. And uh, we, there were some people just kind of milling around at the door and we walked in and they said, somebody needs to stop them. Like stop those having more kids. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like the nasty ones, but you know, you, you get, you get a you lot get of the encouraging ones. Yeah. yeah. You get, you get encouraging stuff too, which is always a lot better. Like I, t- I took eight of my kids to the Rockies, Colorado Rockies game the other day. With one and, or without uh, her? Without one of some people, the youngest ones were six, so Lauren didn't come. Okay. So I was there by myself with eight um, for most of the game. My in-laws showed up at, like, the sixth inning. I don't, I don't know why they That's couldn't That's a fun get time to show up. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, so we're there. I don't even notice people staring at me anymore, you know, but they do. And uh, they're, they're always watching when they see, you know, all my kids that look like me and they – realize I can't believe this is happening. But um, <laughs> after the game, you know, I had two different people, you know, compliment us and say how great it is. And like, thanks for bringing all the kids. And that's always super encouraging. You're like, well, I, I left three that. at home. Yeah. I, that's what I'm like. I have more actually. And they, then they're really, <laughs> then, then they got mad and started cussing me out. No. <laughs> yeah. um, breeder, breeder. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the encouragement. The encouraging stuff is great. Uh, let me ask you a question. Number one, what kind of do you drive uh, Ford Transit 15 passenger van? <laughs> <laughs> I literally almost spit my coffee all over, all over. Oh, that's beautiful. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. No trunk space, <laughs> zero awesome. trunk space, unless we take out two of the seats. Then we have some cargo space. Then you got kids on the roof. How do you, uh, how do you go on vacation? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> 
Do you guys just go hiking all the time? I feel like you're always hiking. hiking. You live in Colorado. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. No, last summer we stayed. We stayed around Denver, and yeah, we we would drive a few hours into the mountains. See if you could leave any of the kids there. Make their way back. <laughs> yeah, always do a head count. <laughs> so yeah, we do a lot of staycations. You know, where we'll take yeah. day trips and do some hiking and things like that. This summer we're going. We have taken a road trip down to Pensacola. It's been a, a few years, but we're going to do that again this summer. We are doing that because that was uh, the kids. That's their favorite thing to do. Cool is the beach. And so we're going to take a big road trip and spend a week in uh, Pensacola on the beach. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. What, what, what do you think is the biggest hardship with having – because a lot of people, you know, you have that number that was thrown around. It's like – what was it? It's like $188,000 per kid, you know, to get them to college, um, you know, from yeah. zero to 18. How, how do you manage it financially? I don't. Well <laughs> – Credit cards. Credit cards. Credit, credit cards. No. <laughs> I think that's another another uh, area in my life where, you know, when you kind of feel like you're at the end of your rope, God t- tosses you a, another lifeline. God, so it's just God we, tosses you ten grand. <laughs> yeah, in the form of ten grand. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, there, it's when, when I've needed more money, and when we're kind of scratching our head, like, how is this going to work? Um, there's always something that opens up that makes it work, but yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, it's, you, you have to, you know, you have to live with the fact that you're not going to be rich and that's okay. Definitely tough to manage, but, um, you got to live differently than everyone's living in the culture, right? You know, people are like, Oh, you're, your kids need their own bedroom. Okay. No, they don't, you know, you, you know, you need all the newest shoes and clothes and, you know, the newest cars and you have to go on these types of vacations. Like you have to, you know, we've had to reject all those, those kind of preconceived notions in the culture, you know, kind of forge our own path and be grateful for, for the little things. Which is all begun for you two in preparing for your wedding, right? The sacrament mattered more than the trappings. The, the fact that you were getting married matter more than the wedding dress. And for a lot of women, you know, like in our culture, that is shoved down their throat of the perfect princess wedding, you know, all of that stuff. And there really is a death. Like for us men, right? We just need to find a tuxedo that we don't look like a jackass in. And we all literally match each other. Jerry Seinfeld has the best line. Why do all the men dress the same? It's because the groom doesn't show up. Everyone, all the men just take one big step to the right. You know, it's like, well, you're the best man. You're next, <laughs> right? Like, but that that understanding of, like, it is a death. It is a death. It, it can be for a lot of women differently to be like, I'm not going to have this posh wedding. But when you have priorities that, like, override it, like, yeah, there are people who are who have been married for ten years. They're still paying off their wedding and their reception and their yeah. their destination yeah. bachelor party and all that shenanigans. And I'm sure people have great stories to tell. But like, don't be stupid. <laughs> like that's stupid. My bachelor party consisted of playing pool and arguing with my brother about gay marriage at, a <laughs> at the two days before the wedding. That was so annoying. sounds like a great time. Oh man, it was it was great. Um, yeah, but, we, yeah. We, you guys yeah, we, started that, right? You started exactly. that from the very beginning of your marriage. You had a common understanding that uh, we ain't got money, honey, but we got love. Yeah, and let's not act like I'm some, you know, saint here. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. Oh of, no, you're a monster. Let's go back to. Sixth I know. Grade. I mean, look at what I did to you. <laughs> I know. You know. It's amazing. I turned out in so high holy. school. 
<laughs> well, well, we need to talk about the cat pillow, you know, to to highlight all <laughs> the flaws of Chris Miller. But um, but no, I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of, you know, I think as Catholics, especially as when we're younger Catholics, you know, we we talk about suffering. We yeah, you talk about the theory of suffering and why there's value in suffering, you know, to 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 go through it and having 11 kids and all the the sacrifice that that entails, especially for Lauren as, as the woman and the person, you know, <laughs> bearing the brunt of, uh, you know, carrying the kids and giving birth and homeschooling them and taking care of them. You know, that's, that's real suffering and you have to, that's where the the rubber hits the road and you have to go to God and say, okay, you gotta, you gotta help me find some meaning in this. Right. Yeah. So do you know how you get all those kids? Like, do you know how that works? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, not, not yet, but yet. we're going to keep trying, keep trying to puzzle it out. Uh, yeah, we're, we're still, we're still brainstorming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got another one. Gosh, how does this keep happening? It makes no sense. Oh, it's all, know. it's all, you know, the funny thing for me in watching, um, your family grow from the other side of the country or, or other side of the world, as it were, the moment where you and I, we would get in these huge arguments on the phone about Pope Francis and it, the the first major argument uh, that we had, because I was defending him all the time, because in my mind, all popes have to be canonizable, right? And I like Pope Francis. Like, I like what Scott Hahn said the other day. Someone asked him about Pope Francis. He goes, "I love a lot of what Pope Francis does and says, and I'm deeply confused as a lot of, with a lot of what Pope Francis does and says. And chances are, if he's on an airplane with a microphone, I'm going to avoid the transcript as best as possible. Um, yeah. But the yeah. uh, he made that comment about multiplying like bunny rabbits, and I and Ugh. you like jumped all over that, and you're like, here we are." sacrificing everything and because and you pointed out this was the big the big thing that was an eye opener for me you said here we are sacrificing you know our physical you know health uh, you know my wife she had to go to physical therapy after you know like pregnancy does a number on the female body as you just said mm-hmm. um but on top of that there is it's not just the catholic call to reproduction is not just to have a couple kids without a condom like the call is actually generosity first with your fertility and then responsible parenting, right? Like then it's like there are grave reasons. And I was arguing with you about this and, you know, you did the thing where you go on 10 different websites to try to understand and be more charitable. I'm like trying to understand what Pope Francis was saying. And I still hold the, you know, most of what I said back then, which is Pope Francis a lot of these times he's not speaking to Catholics. He's speaking to the world who thinks that all you do is multiply like rabbits and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't yeah, but realize who's doing that. Huh? Nobody's doing that today. I know. I know. <laughs> but I realized, you know, and it was the context of this one woman who almost died having her eighth child and he rebuked her or whatever. Um, but the, I didn't know for thousands of Catholics in America, in England, um, I keep coming across like, that was the moment for them where they were like, what the hell did he just say? And it was like the break, the definitive breaking point because it literally broke their hearts to have their Pope make fun of them for doing the thing that they thought they should always do, which is the correct reading of Humane Vitae is generosity and only in for grave reasons should you space children. No, I, I remember when that when he first said that, that, that was one of the worst days at work for me because I, I got comments 
from one guy and he's, you know, he was basically saying, you're an idiot. Even your Pope is rebuking you. Like you have all these kids and you don't have to, and you're actually not supposed to. And I, you know, he's not even Catholic. Yeah. And I had to somehow try to respond to this. And yeah, that was, that was a painful thing to, to have the Pope say, right. Because so, so much, yeah, blood, sweat, and tears goes <laughs> goes into raising any amount of kids, right? And no one wants to feel like, you know, no one wants to feel unsupported, especially by the Pope, you know, when they're when they're striving to live a good Catholic life. Yeah, I got I got uh, taken out to the woodshed by uh, Andrea, who when we were in the middle of the very beginning of the pre-sex abuse scandal, I was opining that you know there are these men who live alone. Because of their celibacy their, and because of the pre-shortage, my, my big argument was people were being – these men were being left alone with their vices, basically. And the the horrible way the church treats priests oh, – you're in charge of 10 parishes. You know, you got – you're never going to form community because you have to drive around all these parishes every Sunday. And, you know, it's just brutal on these men. And then they, you know, and no one knows that they're lonely and isolated and they start drinking or they start looking at pornography and it just escalates, right? Or, or it can. And I, I, I wasn't as guarded with my words as I should have been. Um, and I wasn't as precise. And so the guys from Catholic stuff, you should know, called me out and, and, uh, you know, it's a hundred thousand download podcast a week, all this stuff. And I love those guys, like Catholics. And that's why they felt like they could call me out and say something. Like, I don't really have a friendship with them. Luke did. I think he was still in Denver at the time or he had just left Denver. And I called a mutual friend of ours. And I was like, what the hell is this? I never said that because I don't believe that. Because they basically thought I was blaming celibacy and I wasn't. But she was a, a consecrated virgin and she had just gone through it. And for her, I was like an advocate. You know, I was a person in her court who just sold her out to her family, who was saying, you know, her friends or whatever, being like, that's weird. You're going to be sexually stunted in your growth. You're not going to be fully human if you give up this. So it, it was amazing because I didn't realize this until years later. Like I had, ju- and I remember the day when I heard the podcast and talked to Andrea and she was like, not screaming at me, but basically she was like, we get this crap from people that we know and love. And here we are, you know, our refuge is this Catholic podcast that we love. And you're putting us on blast. And I was like, I didn't even say that, you know. So it was this like epic, you know, moment. But that's what it was like for so many people with big families trying to live the church of teaching, trying to live Humana Vitae in the midst of, you know, if you listen to the Dr. Larry Chap thing, I didn't even realize that the European, you know, conference of bishops, a bunch of these conferences were condemning Pope Paul's teaching. I didn't realize it was that bad. I mean, I knew it was horrific, but I thought it was like priest and lay led. I didn't realize the conference of bishops doing that. And uh, no wonder there's such disorder in the church, but that's what it felt like for so many people. Like to put that in that perspective, to be yeah, a woman and- who's constantly bashed for being a consecrated celibate or consecrated virgin. And now I, I, I do this. Um, it was like, it was, uh, you know, I don't think Pope Francis thinks literally, you're being unjust by having multiple kids. But that is absolutely what the message felt like for all of these Catholics who were trying against all odds to live. They felt like they were just sold out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's not, obviously, it's not easy to have a lot of kids. And also, there are a lot of Catholics that maybe are trying to delay pregnancy and NFP doesn't work very well for them. Yeah. So, I mean, for the Pope to say, oh, you know, 
you don't have to be doing this or, you know, imply that, or you shouldn't be like rabbits or whatever. Yeah. There, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, rawness there that, uh, for people that are, are trying to live, live the Catholic life and it's a struggle, right? And there's a lot of suffering and, and you, you don't want the Pope to, to add to that suffering. So, yeah, I mean, he, he says a lot of things, you know, some are, some are good, some are extremely confusing. It's, it's a different world with Pope Francis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told people, I used to say like the, the hermeneutic of interpretation of him is he's not talking to Catholics, even when he's talking to Catholics, he's talking to the world and trying to overcome these stereotypes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, he's always evangelizing, but now I'm just like, well, he's just a fallen human person who puts his foot in his mouth more than he, yeah, I, 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 I stopped. I, I stopped defending. It. I'm not. I'm not a basher. Um, one of the things that opened my eyes because I kind of stopped following him when it was like, oh my gosh, it's like I feel like it's every month. Um, there's something that I'm like having to defend and argue and all this stuff. Um, we literally started a podcast called "What Is Pope Francis Saying Now?" <laughs> we did it with JD Flynn, me, Luke, and JD, and uh, it's still. I think it's still out there somewhere. It's only three episodes, but. Um, I stopped defending, but then like very conservative Catholic circles who maybe were critical of the Pope, they would circulate like his Lenten reflections. I remember there was a, a legionary or Regnum Christi group that basically turned them into devotions, his Lenten reflections. And I'm reading them and I'm like, whoa, these are incredible. It's like, yeah, this was his journey last year during Lent. So we turned it into like a, basically like a meditation, you know, no Pope has talked about the devil more has done more for exorcism ministry. Um, all that stuff, but it's just like so. It's so fascinating to see. It's like, well, uh, there's also this whole other side, and I'm very confused. And right, just to, just today, a, a coworker who's not Catholic stopped in my office, and he brought up Pope Francis today. Um, but I mean, non-Catholics are fascinated by Pope Francis. Yeah, and he's he's definitely engaging uh, with with a lot of non-Catholics. Yeah, but it's it's still confusing. Like I just this morning, I was reading. Uh, an interview that he gave where he was saying, and I skimmed it over. So don't quote me on this, but basically it was like, I'm not sure if we should be supplying arms to Ukraine. Like he didn't even know yes or no. And, Oh, and Ukraine provoked Putin because there were NATO was barking at his door. And apparently Pope Francis has called Zelensky and just told him to quit fighting. And, you know, he, he said he wants to broker a peace deal in Kiev, but now he wants to go to Russia. And anyway, it's just like, what are you doing? I'm not sure. You know, you don't have, I don't think you have the answers to all of life's questions on everything, including war and peace in Ukraine. And so anyway, it, it's, there's a lot of chiming in on all sorts of topics that he doesn't have expertise in. <laughs> what a nice way to put it. When I can see by your face, you want to say so much more. <laughs> but I remember that, man. You were like, he's a freaking Pope. I had a co-worker. You were so pissed. Oh, yeah. You were yeah. so pissed. Um, yeah, now I just kind of take it in stride. I'm just, I'm, I just expect it. Let me take a minute to tell you about our friends over at creditkarma.com. What are your financial goals? Recently, I purchased a house. I've had to refinance debt. We've had to explore credit card options to see what's best for travel. Credit Karma can help with every single one of those things because it all depends on your credit score. Credit Karma is most known for their free credit scores and credit monitoring, which is so important and so necessary today. But they also help their members with other services like finding auto insurance, opening free savings accounts, finding great credit cards, and finding a great personal loan. See, here's the financial tools 
to help you succeed and to grow and to progress in your personal financial life. A lot of us are paralyzed when it comes to finances, and Credit Karma can help you on the path. So, for instance, a lot of people are big Dave Ramsey fans. I was a big Dave Ramsey fan. I got out of debt. But in the FIRE, Financial Independent Retire Early Movement, the idea is some credit cards incentivize their users with things like travel rewards. So here's the question. Why not buy a trip based on travel rewards if you pay off that credit card all the time? So that's what we did. Credit Karma can help you compare rewards options so that you can find a card that fits your lifestyle, helping you earn miles or cash back for spending you're going to do anyway. And for me and the Gormley family, it's all about those miles. So in trying to progress financially, you need someone, a tool in your tool chest that can help you do just that. Comparing cards on Credit Karma is 100% free, and it will not affect your credit scores. It takes just a few minutes to sign up. What you want to do is go to creditkarma.com or the Credit Karma app to find the card for you. That's creditkarma.com. Thank you to Credit Karma for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. But can I say one more thing about yeah, that? please do. One, one thing that I think what kills me about Pope Francis is so many times he puts up a straw man of some, you know, Torquemada Catholic that, like, this is what all Catholics are doing. Like, for example, having babies like rabbits or, um, you know, he talked about years ago, you know, all we ever hear about is, you know, abort, like anti-abortion homilies yeah. and anti-contraception homilies, and we need to you know, preach the, the authentic gospel. And I'm thinking, I never hear about, you know, why we shouldn't use contraception or why abortion is wrong or, you know, these hard teachings in this culture, you never hear about those at the pulpit, but he'll act like that's all that's being preached. And now, and now what you need to be preaching about is this, right? And so it's those types of things that, that confuse me about Pope Francis. It's like, you know that's not what's actually happening in the church, but yet you act like everyone's some right winger running around, you know, terrorizing everyone. That's not the case, right? So it's it's just confusing to me. Yeah, I listened to uh, and I've had many conversations about it. I went through the podcast Fountains of Carrots, Haley and Christy, and they interviewed a dude with, who uh, was on the Little Rascals, the nineteen ninety four movie, mm-hmm. and he converted. I think he was a Baptist. He converted to Catholicism. He's like a Latin Mass crowd guy, and he was talking about how you know he's like you know a lot of traditionalists didn't like Pope Benedict, didn't like certain aspects about him. I'm um, sure they loved you know traditional you know thoughts on liturgy and stuff like that. But he said, and it was okay to criticize him. He said, but the kind of like the crazy thing is because and it's almost entirely because of social media i think social media is is a is a total scam it's a total lie it makes everyone feel like the whole world is this or it's that it's you know what is it like twitter the most extreme parts of the right and the left represent like 80% of all tweets and yet they're less than 9% of the us population or something like that holds those views and so the, it's conversations that are being amped up and carried on by people who do not represent the majority of people, right? And um, listening to Haley and Christie talk about the Latin mass and traditionalism, like the guy was saying, I, I stopped using the word traditionalist. Traditionalist used to mean I, I love like the old prayers, the old devotions, not just the old mass, but like, yeah, I'm a traditional Catholic. I enjoy artwork. I enjoy the art and architecture of 
yesteryear as opposed to the weird kind of clip arty stuff that comes out of the Vatican, you know, and or Crayola stuff that comes out of the Synod for Synodality. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, you got to look that up. But um, he said, I don't use that word anymore because it's become so like radicalized online. And it was just fascinating to hear, like, you know, I, I don't criticize the Pope, even though I have criticisms of, you know, legit charitable things that I would say, like, I disagree with this, I disagree with that. He's like, you can't do it because the moment you say, like, oh, I totally disagree with Traditionis Custodes or whatever, immediately people put you in a camp. And it's like, no, I'm not I'm not a Sadie Vacantist, you know, Taylor Marshall worshiping, like, psycho. You're a fanboy of Taylor Marshall. But you know what I mean? Like, it, the, the polarization side. But the thing is not the polarization. Obviously, we have that, whatever. The thing is... What happens because of it that fascinates me even more? Because, like, for instance, when you clamp down, when YouTube clamps down on COVID conversations about, you know, efficacy of the vaccine or whatever, right? The whole conversation around COVID, even if you're a medical doctor talking on a panel of medical doctors with Pfizer representatives on the panel, it'll get shut down, demonetized, like all these like crazy censorship things. So I was watching this this one guy, and he uses different words because YouTube will track your words, right? And he'll call it, um, you know, the virus of unknown origin uh, or the KUFU. And they'll, they come up with, like, silly words for it. And I'm like, this is what censorship does to us. Like, it's, the, it's not just the, hey, you're not a medical doctor. You're not an epidemiologist. You don't have the expertise to go expound. It's like, yeah, but you're now censoring and people are self-censoring even conversations about it because they're terrified of what's going to happen. And the same is true about like, if you are, if you're, if you don't like something that, if you feel like Pope Francis could have said something better or said something in a better way, all of a sudden now it's, well, you, you're, you know, you're a member of one Peter five or you're uh, an SSPX or you're a rad trad. And that part, um, that part bothers me because it shuts people up who could have good ideas and good things to contribute. And people who love Pope Francis, who maybe disagree with Pope Francis, now they're being removed from the conversation. So now the extremists who have already called him an anti-Pope, they're now, they're now the only ones on the platform. You know, and it's like, he's not a freaking anti-Pope. Calm down. However, this thing was dumb. Don't do that. You know, it's like, right. Yikes. Yeah, I think I think that's why I liked your last episode, Doctor Larry Fink, right? Chap, um, Chap. Why I say Fink? I, I don't know. know. That's a funny uh, doc- name, though. Doctor Larry Chap. No, I I really liked that last interview because I felt like I was listening um, to some of the things that I that my family has been going through, where it's like you love the tradition of the church, right? You love you love the church and and all its history, all the all the good history, right? Um, but it's so hard to find a home and we live in this polarized society where, you know, everything is divided up on into, you know, politicized terms. So it's like, Oh, you're a conservative Catholic, right? No, you know, I, I, I'm an, I'm a Catholic who's trying to live in a way that's in line with, you know, orthodoxy and, you know, we'd label each other in ways that, uh, you know, marginalize people and we equate it with politics. And so then we say, okay, well, you're in that camp. That's good for you. I'm in this camp over here and this is good for me. And none of it is in line with, you know, authentic Catholic living. Right. Um, and yeah, that, that last interview really kind of resonated with Lauren and I, because, you know, we've, 
we've gone to the FSSP. We've gone to Novus Ordo. You know, we've we've gone to multiple parishes. We've we've noticed that nobody's loyal to any parish, right? <laughs> um, it's it's hard. Church you know, like shop it, when he said yeah, that. I, that, I, I, I love. I, yeah, I loved when he said you know church shop, you know parish shop, because. Earlier on in our marriage, I had the opposite view where I was very idealistic. And I said, no, we are going to our territorial parish. And that's in line with canon law and blah, 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 right? Now, I completely, you know, have the opposite view. Like, you have to parish shop. You have to find good priests. You have to find a good parish. And it's tough. It's tough because, like you said, I mean, even finding a parish that loves the general instruction of the Roman Missal and does the Novus Ordo the right way and has solid homilies, that's tough to find. And that type of thing is, you know, what for a time drove us to the Latin Mass. And I love I love the Latin Mass, but, you know, I always said even before, you know, I dabbled in the Latin Mass, but, you know, I always said for years, I love the Latin Mass, I hate the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't really hate the people, but um, the there culture. Are, there are pockets within that. So that was the thing that was so great about the um, the Fountains of Carrots interview. Um, I'm going to have to link it in the show notes because it really was a great interview because they humanized. The, it's like I go to Latin Mass because I love the Latin Mass and I love the people that are a part of that Latin, what we call the Latin Mass community. And he said, and in our particular church, if you start Francis bashing, if you start Novus Ordo bashing, you start gossiping and and being all weirdo extremist, the priest will literally walk up to you in the parish hall if you're doing over coffee and donuts or whatever and tell you to stop talking that you don't do that at this parish. Because, like, yeah, the church is going through a lot, but the way you fix it isn't by being a jerk. The way you fix it is by living joyfully what the church has handed on. And, you know, I go to a Novus Ordo parish. I go to a normal Novus Ordo parish in so many different ways. Um, We're a juggernaut mega parish, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But um, there are, you know, the dude from 1 Peter 5, Steve Skojek, he was denied his kid's baptism because the priest was, the priest said, if I remember the story correctly, it was like a year and a half ago, a year ago, he was denied baptism because the priest said, well, I don't see you around enough. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, what do you mean? Like, you don't think I'm a faithful Catholic? And it's like, yeah, because you basically, Steve Skojek, if I'm remembering correctly, took COVID very, very seriously, didn't leave, didn't go out of the house all that much, mass sanitized, did that, took it very seriously. But in many Latin mass communities that he was connected with, it was, you know, a hoax. It was a conspiracy theory. It, you know, it was a denier element to it. You know, maybe not entirely. And the priest definitely made it seem like, well, you obviously don't take your Catholic faith seriously enough because you let a virus keep you away from the Eucharist, and now I'm not going to let you baptize your kid. Right. You know, and yeah, it's stuff it's, like that that's just like, exactly. Oh, shit. Yeah, and so obviously not every Latin Mass community is like that. And to clarify, I don't hate the people, but I do <laughs> dislike a prevalent culture within a lot of Latin Mass communities where – and that was what I saw when I started regularly attending – an FSSP parish for a while. Um, It was like every homily was some culture warrior. COVID's a hoax. Uh, uh, You know, Novus, literally there was a series in the, in the bulletin on, you know, the, the evils of the Novus Ordo liturgy. Okay. Every Sunday. Um, And yeah, there there was some really messed up things that went into how they came up with, with the uh, liturgy. But as your guest, 
pointed out last week, it was ultimately the Pope's call, right? Um, but anyway, it's, it's stuff like that where you're focusing on liturgy wars, you're focusing on these kind of ancillary cultural wars. And I'm going to Mass and thinking week in and week out, I never hear the authentic gospel, right? I never hear um, how I should get closer to Christ and how I can live a better life. And so in that type of culture, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're producing these, these angry culture warriors who, you know, hate the Novus Ordo. Um, that's not the kind of life I want to live. And that's not what I want to teach my kids. So we found a really good Novus Ordo parish here. And that's what we do. And I feel really good about that because now I'm back in a culture of, we're not hyper-focused on liturgy wars or anything else like that. We are hyper-focused on the gospel at Mass and on the Eucharist, and that's great. That's that's what we should be. And I was going to say one more thing about uh, – should I, should I tell the story of why I divorced the FSSP parish? Sure. I'm getting into hot water here. Um, we loved going to the Latin Mass. It's beautiful. I remember when you went, you called me, and you were like – my kids loved going. You were like one of your kids. It might have been Paul, but I think it was a younger boy. Yeah, it you was were, Paul. Yes. It was Paul. He was like, he paid attention the whole time. He he like talked about it the whole way home or something like that. Like right. something just clicked. Yeah, it was it was captivating to them. I mean, the parish is beautiful, the liturgy is beautiful, the chant is beautiful. I mean, it's it's it is captivating and beautiful, and there's no there's no denying that. As we kept going, like I said, that kind of strange negative culture just is so pervasive. And you don't really, you know, I don't want to be a part of a parish where I don't talk to anyone. I just go to mass and I like run to my car and drive off. Right? <laughs> don't ruin this for me. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> but that's that's what I was kind of feeling like. It's like when I talk to somebody after mass, I'm, I, uh, I feel odd because we're bashing Pope Francis or we're doing, you know, bashing the Novus Ordo or whatever. But, um. Yeah, the the thing that kind of broke broke me on on the FSSP parish where I live one Sunday or Saturday I can't remember we went to it was a Sunday we went to confession or a few of my kids and my wife went to confession my wife came out Lauren came out and she was she got in the van and I could tell she was upset and she's like I don't I don't want to talk about it in front of the kids and so anyway when the time was right she she told me that in confession, basically, she was talking about, you know, kind of struggles with social media and how that can kind of get her distracted and, you know, wrapped up and, you know, waste time as it does. And this sparked the this particular priest to inform her that not only should she not be doing social media, but she really shouldn't be doing anything that pertains to outside of the home including voting. So he said, you should not be voting because you're a woman. And that really upset her. (laughs) Um, And it was just a very, a very odd, you know, is is this spiritual direction now? You know, is, is this what we're doing? We're trying to convince women not to vote. And so this upset her rightly. And I was kind of surprised to say the least. And I ended up emailing the pastor and, uh, and well, it's hard because it's confession. So exactly. the, the, the thing you got to be careful about for people who don't realize this is the priest can't really defend himself because then he violates the seal of confession. Right. And I remember you going over the email with me and you're like, you, you're, you mentioned that, like, listen, I know I get this. 
Um, but you know, and then what, what, what did you say? Yeah. You basically just so made yeah, it. I emailed, I emailed the pastor and I guess we can say the pastor was father James Jackson, who has been, who accused. was my homeschool co-op leader that I hero worshiped and was my confirmation sponsor that I hero worshiped for the better part of two decades. Only right, to so find out. Yeah. So like all these things are yeah. intersecting, so right? You, so let, let, you are going to the parish who's the pastor was the guy that when I decided to homeschool and leave Bishop Kelly Catholic high school, I still lived in Oklahoma. He was the guy, right? He was, right. and he was incredible. Former Marine Corps chaplain, all this stuff. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Go. So going on a little tangent there. Yeah. I remember when you, Michael Gormley, Gomer, you fell in love with the Latin Mass. Yep. Because there was an FSSP parish in Tulsa, and Father James Jackson was there. And I remember going to the Latin Mass with you in sixth or seventh grade, and you drug your parents there too. You insisted that we go. Um, but I, and I remember, you know, I was probably in seventh grade at this point talking to father Jackson after mass and him explaining to us that the liturgy is like a tree that develops over centuries and it shouldn't just be chopped down like they did with the Novus Ordo. I, I, this is seared into my brain. I was like, wow, that's a good point. Um, anyway, so this is the same father Jackson from, you know, 12 year old Chris Miller. Now he's with me. 39-year-old Chris Miller, and uh, he's, yeah, he's a captivating figure, great preacher um, from all external, everything I could see, just a very holy guy. Um, he has been accused of some heinous things that by the, by the, uh, by the feds, he's being, he's being charged, or he has been charged. Um, I have no idea if, if those things are true or not, and right. that case is pending. But anyway, I emailed him, this was before all that drama, I emailed him about this odd uh, spiritual direction of women not voting. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I didn't like his response very much, and he seemed to be dancing around the issue. And so finally I just said, look, we kind of went back and forth, and I said, you know what? If you're going to support this type of thing, then I, I'm requesting that you stand up at the pulpit next Sunday and tell inform all the women at your parish that they should not be voting. If you're going to do it in private in the confessional, do it in public. And then he said, that's not what I, he, I can't remember what he said, but he, he changed the subject and, uh, or denied that that what, that's what his position actually was, which I'm not sure what his position is. Um, and after that, I, I just told Lauren, look, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. If we continue to go to the Latin mass, the culture, I, I believe the culture of that parish and of that community would um, poison my kids to the faith and especially my girls. And I could just see them rejecting the faith when they got older, because this is not, this is not a, a healthy culture. So we went to a, a back to a good, a good Novus Ordo parish. Oh yeah. It's wild. See, it's wild trying to be faithful. That's it is. What That's, it's frustrating. It's That's frustrating. And I love Dr. Larry Chap's response, which was, when I said, you know, like, I don't get it. Why don't, why don't priests like to hear confession? He's like, yeah, don't let the door hit you on your way out. We don't need that. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, he's, yeah. yeah he, he definitely talks like a curmudgeon. But um, there was uh, – we, we should wrap up. We should wrap up. I just realized yeah. what time it was. Sweet Moses, my wife's going to murder me. Um, Chris. 
Where can people find you? Just kidding. <laughs> you are you Nowhere. are not you are not a producer of anything. Do not try to find me. <laughs> <laughs> My cell phone is I in a Faraday bag. I am off the grid. <laughs> oh man. Uh, my best friend Michael Gormley, thank Neil. you for having me. Yeah, um, I'm glad we could finally do it. I know. And I, I listen every episode for a Chris Miller name drop. So. Yeah, and we got to give a shout out to your people who listen. Lorne, got to give a shout Lorne out to Hinkst. Lorne Hinks, legend. legend, legend. He always tried to get me to bet on horses every time he came to Houston. I never <laughs> did. Somewhat regret it, but mostly don't because I probably would have become addicted to the ponies. Uh, Lauren Hanks. Uh, who else? Who else? Well, you did one of your buddies at work, didn't he? Listen, oh, for yeah, a yeah. spell. Sean, Sean at work. If he's still listening, um, he gets a shout and, out. Yeah, he gets a shout out. And I, I, I know I've I've referred catching foxes to so many people. So ho- hopefully they're listening. And may, maybe I hope they're not listening because. I don't necessarily want them to hear these stories. <laughs> I have so many stories I wish we could talk about. You know, one of the things that I would love is for like the highest Patreon tier for you just to tell uh, interesting stories that happened to you involving a certain person. Um, I don't. I can't well, say how anything about this? more. <laughs> jump on the Discord, okay? Jump on the Discord and let us know. I'm just kidding. I'm not even on the Discord. Um, but uh, yeah, my. Mike, if there's any way for you to get more money off any of any stories I can supply, then I, I'm happy to do it. And by the way, I'm Michael Gormley's biggest fan. I always said, you know, you got to get out there. You know, you can you can make a lot of money. You're you're super talented. And I always said you're the funniest guy I know. And I always say that to everyone that knows you. So anyway, Mike, you're the man. You are the man. May Almighty God bless you, <laughs> keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, and grant you His peace. Amen. Thank you. And you're welcome. Sixth grade Gomer says you're welcome.